Well, it's good to see you, and uh, I think probably in reality some of you walked in this morning and you maybe pulled this out of your worship guide and you thought, oh great, spirit-filled marriage. Now you said that, oh great, for two, one, two reasons. Either you are married and you just don't want to hear it, or two, you're thinking, I'm single, this does not apply to me. Okay, everybody just hang on, and I think you'll discover that God has something for uh, each of us in this room today, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. If you need a Bible to follow along, there's some in the back. There are also some back there in different languages, if that will benefit you as you study along with us. It's been said that marriage starts as an ideal. And then somewhere along the line, it becomes an ordeal. And that often what happens is that we're soon looking for a new deal. We can see that in our culture today that you see married couples and sky's blue and clouds are pink and everything's good. And then a few, there's a newly married somebody. Let me just explain the next section. <laughs> then we kind of hit up against, oh, this is actually work. And then all too often in in our culture today, and all too often in the church, which our statistics are exactly the same as the rest of America, in over 50% of the cases, we look for a new deal. And we try it again, and let me just warn you that the statistics go down from there. This is a... uh, just a fine model of a 61 Impala. Not really sure what color it is. It's not a color found in nature. But in this box are thousands upon thousands of pieces. We have a windshield, which I stepped on at the last celebration, so I think it's all intact. Genuine chrome. Mm-hmm. You got your tires in here. You got, oh, I love this part. The little stickers you soak in water that don't really work. But those are not the most important pieces in this box. Here's the most important part. The instructions. The easy to follow. Often actually written in correct English. Instructions on how to put this together. See, the point is that all these pieces are supposed to be assembled according to the instructions. Our problem is that sometimes we don't know the instructions well enough to be able to build the model. It's really just a matter of following directions, isn't it? So that the pieces come out looking like this says they're supposed to look. Now, there are two interesting things about this passage we're going to look at. First of all, and this always seems to be my introduction to a message, is I believe that Pastor Steve looked through this, these passages. <laughs> and he came to the verse that said, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and said, Pastor Brian's doing that one. <laughs> it just it works this way. I don't understand. It works this way. Second interesting thing about this is that if there is a challenge that I have in my Christian walk... 
of being filled with the Spirit and living in the way that I should in an area, it is in the area of marriage. I've been trying for 24 years. And I still... There is hope, ma'am. There is hope. Still am not getting this right. And as a matter of fact, if you asked my wife this morning, she would tell you that as recently as Friday night, I didn't get this right. Now, if there's at our house, we, there's an interesting phenomenon. On weeks that I am speaking, interesting things happen at home. Let me tell you how things are when you're speaking on marriage. Not so much. Not so much. So, let me just say this. Here's a spiritual way of putting what I'm trying to say. I'm a fellow journeyer with you as married couples. You know, it is a challenge to be spirit-filled and follow his leading in the midst of our marriage with the, the, the person who's the closest to us. And What we have in Ephesians 5 is a picture of the ultimate model for a marriage. And that is Christ and His bride, the church. In order to truly live out the truth of this passage, in full obedience, we have to fully understand the model presented here. If we're truly to build God-honoring marriages, then we have to be fully engaged with the pattern that we're following. See, if we, if we don't even have understand the instructions, and if you're like me, you don't read the instructions through one time before you start. If we follow these directions in Ephesians 5, we're, we're going to have marriages that will not only be what we desire them to be, but what God intends them to be. Now, if you're married, uh, unmarried here today, please realize that there's something for you in this passage too. Because we're, we're going to talk about Christ and the church. We're going to look at the instructions. We're going to look at what the pattern we're supposed to follow, that each of us is supposed to live out, and then discover its implications in marriage. In the Scriptures, the church is called the Bride of Christ. One of those passages is in Revelation 19.7. It says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. As we look into today's passage, we're going to consider the model relationship between Christ and the church. For those of you who are married, keep in the back of your mind that this model is to be followed as you, by you as a couple. Our marriages are to be built off of this example. Now this is a challenging passage because it is both the description of the pattern and how the pattern is to be followed in marriage. So you have two things going on at the same time. See, the challenge here is that every believer is part of Christ's body. We are all to view ourselves as His bride. All right, now, gentlemen, let's just start out by saying, get over it, okay? We, as men, are part of Christ's bride. It is the intimate relationship between Christ the bridegroom, and his bride, the church, of which it's made up of both men and women. It is a metaphor and a picture that he's creating for us. In this passage, it's challenging because husbands are to follow the example of Christ in relationship to their wife. 
who is to follow the example of the church as Christ's bride in relationship to her husband. So in this passage, when we see Christ's part in this, husbands, that's what we follow. And when we see the church's response to Christ, wives, that's your pattern. The problem with most of us as Christians is that we are not completely sure who we are as Christ's bride. And we don't fully appreciate the depth of the relationship we have with Him. So how can we translate what we don't understand into our marriage relationships? It's been said that God created marriage not just to make us happy, but to make us holy. As a matter of fact, I stole that phrase from a book called Sacred Marriage. It is available in the bookstore. I'd encourage you to uh, pick this up. The subtitle is, What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Just right, I could stop right there and about three-quarters of us would figure out what we're getting wrong. That we're striving to find happiness in our marriage rather than holiness. Marriage is meant to be a challenge spiritually to us. Can I get an amen on that? Mm -hmm. It's to be modeled upon the most intense and personal relationship in the universe. God's relationship to His creation. God's relationship with His called people, the church, His bride. So let's look at this relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. First we see Christ's headship of His bride. His headship of His bride in verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, His body, of which He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The main principle here is that the church submits to Christ as her head. Headship implies at least two things. Christ as the supplier or the Savior. And Christ as the authority or the leader. The supplier and Savior and the authority and leader. Now, we understand this in relation to the church. We would, we would say that the leadership of any local church should follow Christ as its head. Many church constitutions even have a sentence saying Christ is the head of this church. We submit ourselves to both His supply and His authority. Head is used, this idea of the headship is used two other times in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, there's the illustration of the head being the supplier, the giver, the provider. And in Ephesians 1, there's the illustration of the head as the authority, the leadership. From the context of those two passages, and then in Ephesians 5, the context of Ephesians, the headship of the husband implies that as far as possible, the husband should accept greater responsibility for supplying the needs of his wife and he should accept greater responsibility of authority and leadership in the family. It's the acceptance of a greater responsibility for both provision and leadership. In verse 24, we see the phrase, as the church is subject to Christ. The basic meaning of submission then would be, wives, recognize and honor the level of greater responsibility of your husband to supply for your protection and your sustenance. 
Be disposed to yield His authority in Christ and be inclined to follow His leadership. Incline yourself this way. Accept that level of leadership. It says that this is to be as to the Lord. You see, again it comes back to simply yielding and following the example of the church in relationship with Jesus. As the church is supposed to gain sustenance and supply and authority and leadership from Christ, so wives are to gain these things from their husbands. Your attitude of submission honors God because at its deepest level it indicates your submission to Christ Himself. See, the point is, if we learn to submit to Christ, then we can learn to submit to another person. Who in the picture, in this model, is seeking to be like Christ? So we see the headship of His bride. In verse 25, we see Christ's love for His bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. It should be very plain to all husbands that this means primarily leading in the kind of love that is willing to die to give her life. To die to give her life. Jesus said in Luke 22:26, Let the leader become the one who serves. In those moments in the upper room, Christ bound Himself with a towel and He washed the apostles' feet. See, we're to follow the example of Jesus, not Frank Barone. Or Jabba the Hutt, if you will. See, it's not a matter of just sitting around, barking orders and expecting to be served. It's a matter of serving our wives. Now, just to clarify, Christ did not mean let the leader cease to be the leader. See, even while He was kneeling, washing their feet, no one in the room doubted who the leader was. Christ proved that men can be humble servants and leaders at the same time. I believe the time has come in our culture today for men to step it up. We must serve and lead and show love to our wives. But too many of us as men have abdicated one or the other. We serve, but then we don't take any leadership. Or we sit in our barca lounger and try to lead and don't serve. But Christ proved that we can do and be both. Often the issue is a matter of degree. You know, we may say that we're not seeking our own pleasure, but in reality, we're not seeking pleasure fully in the pleasure of our spouse. We are distracted, we are divided. In the same way, we may not be completely enthralled with the world, but we're not seeking our complete spiritual pleasure in Jesus alone. And as Christians, we're divided in our love. And this division is distinctly different than the model we are to be following. For the church is to follow Jesus alone as our bridegroom. Here's the pattern. Christ loved us before we were attractive, didn't He? First Christ loved, and that love moved Him to give Himself. Christ did not choose His wife the way that we do. He did not look for 
those who were attractive or intelligent or even those who were faithful. He chose the unlikely. And then He set out to make His bride, you and me, attractive and wise and faithful. And He did so at the cost of His own life. His love for us did not begin as the love of admiration, not a response to our beauty, for we had none. His love for us was free and unconditional. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. We're not chosen because He could see that we were holy. He chose us because He planned to make us holy. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says that God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is what has happened to every member of the body of Christ. Before we could look pretty or be wise or be faithful, God chose us and His love raised us up out of our unloveliness to be a beautiful bride, made holy by Christ the Bridegroom. Christian, do you understand? Do you embrace? Do you revel in the love that Jesus has for you as His bride? Are you enthralled with the depth of what the Bible calls His covenant love? Jesus has made a marriage covenant with each one of us who are part of His body, the church. And it cannot be broken This is why we teach and believe that our salvation, our relationship with Jesus is secure. He has made a covenant with us that is dependent upon His commitment to the fulfillment of that covenant. Now, a covenant is like a commitment on steroids. It is huge. See, Jesus, the bridegroom, fights for this relationship. And He will not give up on it. He leads, He serves, and He loves His bride. You see, Jesus loved the church so much that according to this passage, He gave Himself up for it. This is amazing, considering that the Scripture says that we're not only sinful, but in places we are called the enemies of God. You see, Jesus sought you out and pursued you when you had no intention of marrying Him. It's even indicated in some passages that we found Him repulsive. Why? Because we were headed in our own direction with our own interests in mind. And yet, He gave His life for you. What love. What amazing love that pursued us when we were running the other direction. And so we see the headship of the bride. And then Christ's love for His bride. And third, we see Christ's cleansing of His bride. Probably the most unusual concept in this passage. Someone after the first celebration said that when they opened their Bible up to Ephesians 5, next to verses 26 and 27, they had written in the margin of their Bible question marks. So we hope to fill in those question marks today. Verse 26 and 27. He gave Himself up for her, verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her 
by the washing with water through the Word, and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, amazingly, being the bride of Christ means being cleansed by Him from the guilt of sin. The picture here is that Jesus must bathe us in order to marry us. He must take away our filth. He takes away our guilt. He bathed us and made us clean before an all-holy God. This is one reason that we practice water baptism here at New Life. You see, it represents this cleansing from sin that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It provides the perfect symbolic combination of dying with Christ and being cleansed by Christ. It represents a burial and a bath that must come when we come to know Christ. Jesus came so His bride would be without blemish, without defect. He came to begin what is called a sanctifying work in us. A progressive movement to holiness. Do you understand what I mean? Holiness is a progressive movement. It doesn't come all at once. Most of us would say, yeah, that's what's going on in my life. It's a progressive movement toward holiness. As we give the Holy Spirit complete control within us, as we come more deeply under His influence, sin becomes more abhorrent to us. Why? Because it comes between us and Jesus. It, becomes, it comes between the bride and our bridegroom. It becomes a negative in the relationship. Our sin causes the closeness of the bride and the bridegroom to become strained. Sin is not what we have been called into relationship for. As we are cleansed, it is for the purpose, according to Ephesians, of one day being presented and revealed to Him as His completed, prepared, and ready bride. He is cleansing us for Himself. He is making us holy so that we can be His pure bride. Now, if you want a picture of this, you just simply have to have been around a wedding and around a bride. And as pastors, we get to be around a lot of those. Now, there's an interesting phenomenon that I find that on her wedding day, a, a bride apparently, as best I can tell, and I've studied this intensively, uh, loses all ability to do her own makeup and hair. And apparently has to have her nails done in a way that is not known in the common in common daily life. Much money is spent on a dress that will be worn a total of oh let me see. Let me count. One time. And apparently her friends, all the bridesmaids, also forget how to do all those things and have to get a new dress, which they're thankful they only have to wear one time. Now what's going on? What what's the point of all this? Well, because you see, that bride, when she stands at the back of a church auditorium and waits for that moment to head down the aisle, and her soon-to-be husband is standing at the front, she wants her husband to be very convinced he made the right decision. <laughs> and in some cases, I've seen guys who think, wow, that's a way better decision than I thought. And, He comes to find out later it was the $300 haircut and makeup. Anyway. But you 
see what's happening. The bride is preparing herself for that moment when she will stand before her groom and head up that aisle. That is what Jesus is doing in our lives. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit is doing in us. He is prepping us for that moment when we will stand at the end of that aisle before the holy, heavenly bridegroom presenting us to Himself as pure and blameless and spotless. See, that's His goal. But if we're truly to understand the fullness of His loving cleansing of us, I want to take a moment and give you a graphic picture of Christ's cleansing. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 3 through 9. Specifically, it is describing God's relationship with Israel, but I believe that this is also a description of all those who are called into a relationship with Jesus. Listen. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity and had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field. And on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by, and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field, and you grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew, you who were naked and bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. This is what it means to be the bride of Christ. The cast out, bloody, dirty, as good as dead. And then the Son of God walked by. And He stopped. And he looked at this disgusting, filthy, aborted thing covered in blood and says, At last, my wife, my beloved, my chosen one, live. And he comes again when we are grown and it says, He covers her nakedness and washes away the filth and makes a marriage covenant with her. And then he beautifies her and prepares to present her to himself in glory. Do you see the depth? of Christ's love for you and for me. That when we were at our worst, Christ stepped into our lives. He said, I make you my bride. Live. And so we see the depth of Christ's desire to cleanse His bride. Now, man, you haven't forgotten that you're supposed to be following the example of Christ. Number four, Christ's desire for His bride. What's the depth of His desire for us? Verses 28 through 31. In the same way, 
Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Christ has an intense, deep desire for his bride, the church. You could even call it a divine jealousy. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 2, it says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride to her one husband. God's divine jealousy for us. His desire is for you and you alone, for His church, His bride. What are His desires? I believe it's to know true intimacy with us. Intimacy that honors Christ and fulfills the bride. Christ loves the church because the church is His body. You see, we are not only the bride of Christ, we are the body of Christ. Thus, Paul's metaphor, if a man loves him, we ought to love our wives as we love ourselves, as our own body. He's loving himself because, see, as God, He is the focus because He is God. It's all to be about Him. And in loving the church deeply, in nourishing and cherishing the body of Christ, he is building the church up and building himself up. Now, I understand this gets really complicated in our brains. In loving us, he loves himself. He, in honoring the bride, it honors him. John Piper has actually called this concept Christian hedonism. That as husbands, we are to love our wives as we would love ourselves. Men, I think we actually get this. We just don't realize we get this. When we treat our wives with respect and serve and love and lead them in this way, isn't life a lot better for us? I mean, what is with us? How come we can't get this right? It just seems logical, doesn't it? I mean, life's a whole lot better... When mama's happy. <laughs> but in reality, you see, as the church, the wife responds to the bridegroom. It's a response to the love and to the service and to the care and to the nourishment. Ladies, you going to respond to that? I think so. And so Paul uses this, this idea that it is this mysterious oneness that Christ has with His bride, that husbands are to have with their wives. And then second, Christ's desire for His bride is to be one flesh. Now verse 31 is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This idea of being one flesh means to be completely united to the point where there is little difference between the two. It's that point where as Christians we are so united with Christ that as the church... We are so united with Christ that the world says that isn't a church, that is Jesus. That isn't Sally or Bob, that is Jesus. It is that kind of one fleshness that we are to have as married couples. Then it says, for this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. You know, the reality is when you live with your father and mother... Especially as children, we're in a place where in some fairly substantial ways, you're the one being served. 
aren't you? Parents tend to serve their children early on out of need and necessity. Later on, well, we won't go there. But marriage creates a whole new scenario, doesn't it? Where the husband is to serve his wife. He is no longer the center of attention, but the one who gives the attention. Some of you just had an aha moment. It was probably the wives, and if you have an elbow in your side, you're supposed to have that same aha moment. Oneness cannot be achieved when we seek to be served rather than to serve. We become one flesh more deeply when husbands follow Jesus' pattern of love for His bride. Consider this. Jesus left heaven when he was the center of, where He was the center of attention. And He came to earth in order to serve us, to care for us, to even become one of us. He gave up His rights as God in order to love us. The church is the organism through which Christ manifests His life and in which His Spirit dwells. So too, as husbands, we are to leave the place of self-focus and become one with our wife. Leaving the place where we are served and where the center of the, we are the center of the universe in Mama's eyes. And step into a relationship with someone who we are to serve and we are to love and supply for and lead. And so we see Christ's great desire for the church of intimacy and one fleshness. Now this passage concludes in these last two verses with what Paul calls a profound mystery. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, a great mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, Paul realized he may have gotten slightly off topic. And might have gotten confusing. So he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about the mystery of Christ and His church. The mystery is really twofold. First, the mystery of how Christ could have loved us unconditionally and sacrificially. Isn't that a mystery to you? How those who were running from Him, He loved and pursued. How could He have pursued us and desired us when we were running the other way from His advances? You see, if we don't start to appreciate this mystery in our relationship with Jesus, then we will never be able to fully enter into the depth of a marriage relationship with our spouse. Because it's a mystery of how Christ could have loved us unconditionally and sacrificially. If we do not fully embrace the truth that the church is the body of Christ because she is the wife of Christ, then we will never be able to fully live in the reality of husbands and wives being one flesh and one body. And the other part of this mystery is once we examine the model, how are we to create marriages that honor the model? Because it is hard work, isn't it? We must grow in the depth of our covenant relationship with Jesus in order to have any chance to have a marriage that are the physical picture of Christ's love for us as His bride. He created human marriage on the pattern of Christ's relationship with His church. It is to be the reflection of the union between the Son of God and His bride, the church. And we are granted by God the privilege to create a picture of the divine that is infinitely greater than ourselves. It's a mystery. 
the mystery of Christ's love for us and the mystery of the fact that He has given us marriage to become the picture of His love for us. And so you say, well, wait a minute, what about husbands and wives? Well, verse 33, Paul says, if you don't remember anything, however, each one of you should, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's a matter of unconditional love. Husbands, are we loving and leading our wives like Jesus? How are we doing it following the model that Jesus gave us? Are we consciously copying the relationship God intended for Christ and His church? Are we seeking to be men who are cleansing our wives spiritually and helping them to become holy? Are they becoming more like Jesus because of our care for them? Are we striving to be one flesh where we are becoming part of one another? Do we love our wives when they're unlovely? You want to narrow it to one question? Husbands, are you like Jesus? Are you like Jesus? It's an issue of unconditional love. It's also an issue of unconditional respect. Wives, does your relationship with your husband follow the model given to the church as the bride of Jesus? Are you allowing your husband to flourish as the supplier and the authority in your home? Are you honoring Jesus in the way that you respond to your husband? Ladies, are you following the example of the church in its relationship with Jesus Christ? And for each one of us in this room today, I'd have this question. Are you leaving the past? Are we setting aside the place where life is all about us and centered on our needs and giving ourselves wholly to the needs of someone else? Are we allowing Jesus to cleanse us spiritually so that we can become the pure, spotless bride without blemish that He intends us to be in our relationship with Him. Christian, seeker, are you allowing yourself to be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ? Are you setting aside self and serving others? Are you allowing Jesus to purify you and make you holy? Ultimately, the most God-honoring, Spirit-filled marriages will be those where both individuals know their position as the bride of Christ and then live this truth out in our human marriages. God-honoring marriages are ones that follow this example. It's not about six easy steps to being a better husband. It's not about four easy steps to becoming a better wife. It's about being like Jesus. If we all got off our own high horses and our places that we place ourselves and put Jesus there where He belongs and follow His example, we would no longer be a statistic. God-honoring believers are ones who live in the joy of their relationship with Jesus, desiring to one day stand at that aisle and be presented to Him as His bride. Let's pray.
Father, our great desire today is to not just have heard Your Word and acknowledged it, read it, maybe took some notes, but to go from here and live it out. Help us to be men and women who are filled with Your Holy Spirit, who are giving ourselves over to Your leading in our daily lives, desiring to be made pure by You, to be made holy. God, change us. Make us into the likeness of Your Son who gave Himself for the church. Father, remind us of where we have come from. For those today who don't know You, God, may they realize that You are there standing over them, inviting them into relationship. May they accept that invitation. Father, when we worship, help it to be all about You and not about us. Help us to constantly remember the sacrifice that You have made for us as Your bride. Father, make us less so that You become more. Make us less so that our marriages are examples of You and Your love for the church. In Christ's name, who gave Himself for us. Amen. Let's stand together.